Knock, knock. Who's there? It's a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses. And if you're terrified to open the door, then you're not going to want to miss my next three episodes. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to think about life through a biblical worldview so they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. In this episode, I want to discuss the basics of the Jehovah's Witness religion, as well as how they answer the five big questions about life. Now, if you're curious what I mean about the five big questions about life, go check out my previous episode titled Five Questions I Ask About Any Religion, and that will help you to understand the basics of how I'm going to be evaluating the Jehovah's Witnesses and why I'm asking these five questions. Now, I do want to give one quick warning as you're listening to this series about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is that while there are a lot of people out there who need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, there are some who are very convinced they have it, so much so that we can talk to them and it can really sound like they are in full agreement with us. And Jehovah's Witnesses are one of those who they use a lot of our same vocabulary, they use our same Bible to a certain degree. A lot of what they say sounds right, but as we're talking, just listen for the little differences in how they are defining certain things and how that all builds up to a basically a version of Jesus Christ who is not only not real, but can't truly offer salvation. So first let's talk about the basics of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now back in the 1870s, Charles Taze Russell developed an, an interest in biblical prophecy. He started with a small group of people who were kind of on his same page, and then he soon expanded that to holding public meetings to explain ultimately the nearness of Christ's return and how Christ was going to come and establish his new kingdom. Now, I want to point out, I said 1870s and not 1970s. So in over 150 years, we still have people who just want to keep, you know, latching on to these biblical prophecies and start all these, you know, potentially false teachings over them. But over time, uh, Russell started kind of realizing that just holding meetings might not be enough for what he wanted to do. And so that is why he started putting his teachings into print form. And that turned into what you may now know as the Watchtower magazine that Jehovah's Witnesses are famous for handing out. After Russell died, new leadership basically picked up where he left off, and Jehovah's Witnesses continued to focus on prophecies in books like Revelation or Daniel, and all their teachings centered on Christ doing away with the current world that is ruled by Satan and then establishing his own form of government. And as we believe, this new world would be perfect and free from sin— and a unique phrase in the Jehovah's Witnesses that we'll talk about later is that this new world would also be free from those unbelievers who God chooses not to remember. Now, as for their name, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses get it from two sources. Uh, Jehovah is the Latin version of Yahweh, which is the biblical name of God. And so in the Old Testament, whenever you see them saying things like Lord, it should be translated as Yahweh. 
Now, if you're wondering why they don't, they aren't called Yahweh's witnesses, uh, that'll be an interesting discussion for the next episode. But it ultimately boils down to an oops moment that they now can't take back. Uh, but the reason that they use the name Jehovah is because they believe that if we're going to talk to God, that he can only be spoken to by his true name. And they get that from loosely Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So their takeaway then is that we have to use the name Jehovah or maybe Yahweh if we want to truly be saved. So calling him God is basically making it impossible for Jehovah to hear us. And then a witness is someone who is convinced of a certain truth and are even sharing that with others. And so Jehovah's Witnesses are literally witnesses of Jehovah. They are people who understand and know the truths of Jehovah, and they want to deliver them to others. Now, in a broad sense, to Jehovah's Witnesses, a world-ending Armageddon is always moments away, in a sense. So they've had a long series of failed prophecies over the years where they've said, Christ is coming back at this time time or in this year and then of course we know that he hasn't and so they've had to change their their prophecies they've also had to change their doctrines or their core teachings mostly because of that and as you will kind of hear and maybe even pick up more in the third episode a lot of what jehovah's witnesses do focuses on the coming kingdom of Christ. That is their huge motivation for everything they do. Christ is imminent. He could come back any day. And when he does come back, we want to be ready. We want to be investing in that future kingdom. And so, you know, if you're kind of wondering about some of the the unique things about Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, why they you know dress like they do, why they go out in pairs and knock door to door, what's up with the 144,000 anointed ones that you may have heard about, uh, the more specific things will be answered in the next episode, you know, the things that people might be a little more curious on. But for now, just know that to be a Jehovah's Witnesses is to live a life of faith so that God will remember you in the new kingdom. And again, there's that word remember. Uh, but ultimately, the religion in that way is a mix of faith and works. Because while, yes, they believe that Christ's death is what saves us, our works are what prove that we have faith. Going back to what we see in James about faith without works is dead. And so they believe that if you don't keep producing good works and maybe even better works, you're not truly saved. And now within the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are they have a group called the Governing Body. And these are kind of the overseers. They're a, a group of men who are constantly monitoring doctrine. They're the ones that are producing the truths put out in the Watchtower magazine, which we'll talk about shortly. But everything that a Jehovah's Witness does and believes is basically first filtered through what the governing body is going to say is right and true. And so the last thing I'll say before we get to answering the five big questions about life is that obviously Jehovah's Witnesses are an offshoot of Christianity itself. And like a lot of false versions of Christianity, it started as an attempt to recapture what has been lost over the years. 
They wanted to kind of go back to the true roots of our faith and do away with a lot of the paganism that they believe is tangled up in mainstream Christianity, like what you and I are probably uh, guilty of practicing. So whether it's things like the Trinity, you know, God being three in one, or even just us talking about the cross and worship, they see all of that as paganism infecting the truth. And so because of that, they don't even want to use our corrupted Bible version when they can help it. Instead, they have their own more, what they view as a more pure version called the New World Translation, which I will be using when I am talking about what it is that they believe, simply because I want to be as accurate to them as I can be, and this is what they would use to get their own teachings out. So all that being said, let's now talk about how they answered the five big questions about life. And as I'm doing this, I just want to make just some quick notes on kind of words I'm going to be using. Uh, First, I'm going to be speaking almost in a positive sense or, you know, coming from their perspective. And I like to do that because I want to try to represent what they believe accurately and not, you know, kind of build up something that's easy to to mock or to tear down, uh, but to establish what it is that these people are actually believing and how they are viewing life through these religious beliefs. Second, a lot of what I say might even sound good. But again, remember what I warned you about in the beginning, that just because they are using certain words doesn't mean they define them the same as us. And third, they I talked about they have the Watchtower magazine and they have the governing body and they also have what is called the society, which is short for the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is the organization's uh materials publisher and within jehovah's witnesses from what i have understood is the the three terms are used fairly interchangeably the governing body kind of seems to kind of oversee the society and produce the watchtower magazine so i will mostly be using the term governing body but understand that these three things are all kind of linked together and then fourth they would use the term jehovah and everything And there's a good chance that I will slip in the word God, one, because it is faster to say, and two, it's because that is what I call our Heavenly Father. So as I'm talking, I'll try to stick with Jehovah, but if I say God, it's not because I'm trying to, you know, demean or undercut it, or I'm saying God as if they would say God. It's just my, you know, decades of brain not being able to adjust very well. So the first big question about life that we need to talk about is where did everything come from? Now, although God did create the universe, they don't hold to a creationist view like a lot of us might in that God had a direct hand in crafting everything. Instead, Jehovah's Witnesses would be very pro-science in believing that science holds a better explanation than our, you know, literal six days of creation might. And so they would say that God kind of created the universe, he kick-started things, but his part in forming the world, for lack of a better word, or creating life, for lack of a better word, is that Jehovah's role was only to guide evolution as his method of bringing life to the planet in a way that agrees very strongly with 
an atheistic or a purely modern scientific model might suggest. Now, the reason that they can believe this is that they would say that the days mentioned in the Genesis creation account aren't literal 24-hour days, and this is supported in things like Psalm 90, verse 4, which talks about how a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. And so they would say that days don't always have to literally mean a 24-hour period. It can just be a long period of time. And they would say that because of that, Genesis 1-1, when God creates the heavens and the earth, that is when God starts things. But then those existed long before any actual life was found on what we would call the planet Earth. Now, as far as how God initially created everything, uh, they get that from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And again, I'm going to read this in the New World Translation. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. This one was in the beginning with God. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him was not even one thing came into existence. So, using this passage, Jehovah's Witnesses do believe that the, the, with the Christian tradition that God created everything through Jesus Christ. However, even though God created things through Christ, they would say that Christ himself is not God, but that as we see in things like you know, John 3.16, where he is called the only begotten Son, or in Colossians 1.15, where he's the firstborn of creation, we would see that God created Christ, and then through Christ created everything else. And so in that way, Christ is considered a God, in the same way that they would consider angels to be lowercase gods, simply meaning that he is a spiritual being. So that is the origin of everything. God created the universe, kind of the structure of it, uh, through Christ. Christ was, of course, created first, so that through him, God could create, or Jehovah could create everything else. But as far as life, as far as animals and plants and all that, that was guided by God's hand in what we would call theistic evolution, or an evolution that agrees with science but was guided and directed by God. Now, question number two is, how do we find truth? How do we understand what is true and what is not? Well, in the world of the Jehovah's Witnesses, our primary source of the truth is the Bible. So they would agree with us with that. And although they would say that the New World Translation is the superior and maybe even perfect Bible translation, because it corrects a lot of translation errors and corruptions that things like the New King James or even our more modern versions get wrong, uh, they will regularly carry a copy of the King James Bible with them, uh, simply because some people are far more comfortable speaking out or listening out of a version of the Bible they are familiar with instead of one that only belongs to a certain religion. So they don't, they don't use the King James maybe personally, but they have no problem using it when they are witnessing to others. And when it comes to, you know, how much, you know, we all say we get our truth from the Bible, but how much do Jehovah's Witnesses really? Well, when I was doing my own study for this and going through a lot of their materials, if you go to 
jw.org, which is their kind of main website, you will see that everything they say is in some form or another backed up by what they see in the Bible. So, yes, they very truly will get all their teachings, all their beliefs out of what they find in in God's Word or their version of God's Word. However, there is, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, a danger in how we read the Bible, because within other, you know, kind of corrupted versions of Christianity, untrained people are able to just open up the Bible and read it and basically get whatever they want in terms of teaching or beliefs. And, you know, just on this podcast itself, we've talked a lot about that, how we have to, you know, responsibly read the Bible, otherwise we can make it say whatever they want. So within Jehovah's Witnesses, they recognize that, and they realize that if left to our own devices with the Bible, we can very easily go down a path of unbelief or false understanding or even create a false belief system on our poor ability to read and interpret the Bible. And so that is why the Watchtower magazine, and really by extension, anything created by the governing body, is so important to them. Because while the rest of the world is basically chasing after paganism and false versions of God or an elevated version of Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say that they are blessed and fortunate enough to be led by a group of people who have the wisdom and leadership and capability to understand what the Bible is truly saying. And through that, they can give truth to to your kind of basic members of Jehovah's Witnesses. And so the governing body is ultimately the highest source of truth because you can have the Bible, but you have to have the governing body alongside it. But to a certain extent, you can have the governing body, but you don't necessarily need the Bible alongside anything they produce. So the Bible is sort of a an aid in reading the truths of the governing body. Now, the reason that the members of the governing body can do this is that they are called the anointed ones, and they are effectively God's modern-day prophets, and they deliver the Word of God not through their own wisdom or their own intelligence— but through revelations from God. And then through that, they create rulings on certain matters within the church, or they create all their printed materials. And so not only do Jehovah's Witnesses ultimately get their truth from the governing body, and you know they can read that alongside their Bible, which, to be clear, how that, how that basically works is it would be similar to us and commentaries, in a way. So it would be as if we, outside the Jehovah's Witnesses, were to open up commentaries or read you know, good material about the Bible and use that as our daily Bible reading and maybe open up our Bible alongside it, but we would never, ever read our Bible without letting a commentary interpret it for us. That's kind of the relationship Jehovah's Witnesses have with the Bible and the material created by the governing body. The governing body's stuff is what tells them truth, and the Bible just kind of supports it. But just like they are encouraged to get their truth from the governing body, and by that I mean God's prophets today, it's also important for them not to get their truth elsewhere— Within Jehovah's Witnesses, it is very important to avoid the lies of the world and not, again, as we define that, by using wisdom and discernment, but by 
genuinely, as much as they can help it, removing themselves from any potential negative influence that they have, so much so that they will isolate themselves from things like secular entertainment and sometimes even isolate themselves from secular education, especially as they grow older and are looking at kind of where they're going to be going for their adult life. And so things like secular universities are worldly, right? They're based in the world. They're part of Satan's kingdom. And so they put us at risk for corruption. And so while an adult isn't going to necessarily or always be 100% shunned or removed from the Jehovah's Witnesses for attending a secular university or finding formal education or getting wrapped up in things of the world to some degree, uh, ultimately within the religion, what they're going to say is that there is little reason to find the wisdom of the world outside of a place of spiritual education. So they would ultimately say that we we get our truth from the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, and our governing body is what gives us truth. Why would you seek any kind of education outside of this? Now, again, it's not always wrong. They're not always going to dissuade people, but there is definitely does not seem to be a push like there is even within mainstream Christianity for kids to grow up and go to college and get their careers. Within Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all about is is what you're pursuing benefiting the kingdom? Is it furthering the work of Christ in the world? And that leads us to question number three, which is, what is our purpose? Now, in a broad sense, our purpose is to live as God has intended for us to live, which sounds very good. We would be in total agreement with that. And that means for us to seek truth and understanding about God's will. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave up their purpose in life in exchange for sin. But because Christ gave his perfect life as a ransom or an exchange for the innocent life that Adam lost, we can be restored and live eternally with God because we can now kind of pick that purpose back up thanks to Christ basically buying the opportunity back for us. Now, more specifically what that looks like, is that we want to live good lives. And that's ultimately what it boils down to. We want to live good lives as kind of defined by the governing body so that we can enter Christ's kingdom. And of course, it's not just about being a good person by the world's standards. We want to resist sin, we want to seek holiness, and we want to follow the teachings of the Bible, again, as explained by the governing body and not how we think the Bible is teaching us. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses can accomplish this purpose in life in a number of ways. Uh, they put a large focus on moral living, again, as defined by their leadership. So that means not just avoiding horrible things, but it encompasses all sorts of things that the governing body deems immoral or too worldly to have any kingdom benefit. And so this would be things like celebrating holidays, going to school dances or parties, any form of sexual activity before marriage, watching television, listening to secular music, and things like that. And again, kind of depending on your own religious traditions, some of those things you might even agree are good to reject, you know, especially sexual activity before marriage. I mean, we are commanded in the New Testament to avoid immorality or any form of, of sexual sin in that I would argue, 
and agree includes really almost anything sexual before marriage because the marriage bed needs to be undefiled. But you may also agree that, you know, we should avoid secular music or, you know, things like parties and, and, you know, other things like that where we would agree that, yeah, those are great things to avoid. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses can, you know, we can agree that they make a good point that if we or a church leader, now whether that's the governing body, whether that is someone who is in charge of the kingdom hall, which is kind of their version of a church building as we would understand it. Uh, but if we are a leader finds that something has little spiritual value, then rejecting it isn't something we do simply so that we can love because we love God. But instead, within Jehovah's Witnesses, we reject those things to help prove our faith. In other words, our purpose in life isn't necessarily to be more like Jesus Christ, but to keep proving that we have faith in him, to keep showing through our works that we reject these things in this world because we are above that, we are beyond it. And so holiness isn't something that God does in us, it is something that we create ourselves. And so beyond just pursuing personal holiness in our lives— there is an emphasis within Jehovah's Witnesses on becoming what's called a publisher. And these are probably the Jehovah's Witnesses you're most familiar with. These are the two guys that knocked on our door at the beginning of this episode. They're the people who go door-to-door handing out tracts or copies of the Watchtower magazine, and they tell people about salvation. And... You know, you may wonder, you know, how, you know, do they just like wake up one day and do this stuff? How does this work? No, you kind of schedule it and you commit to a certain number of hours of, of being a publisher every week. And there's no set amount. There's no level you need to hit that says, you know, I need to do this amount in order to prove that I have faith in, in the work that I'm doing. But from what I have found, it seems that they really encourage people to, uh, commit to the national average, which is about 10 hours a week. So, you know, 10 hours a week, maybe two hours every day during the weekday, they're out there knocking on doors or doing other things to serve their kingdom hall and ultimately serve the kingdom. Now, at an individual level, we can find other ways to serve God in our specific situations. It's not just about avoiding certain things, and it's not only about knocking on doors, but as I've kind of said throughout this episode, you know, the goal is always focusing on the kingdom hall, you know, the kind of their version of a church, or to act in service of the greater body of Jehovah's Witnesses by serving the group's headquarters, kind of where the governing body is located. And so everything that Jehovah's Witness does, as I've said, is just investing in the kingdom. And because the Jehovah's Witnesses kind of hold the truth, one of the best ways to invest in the kingdom is to work alongside the Jehovah's Witnesses in the governing body. And so, in general, kind of the, the summary answer to this question, the goal of a, an individual's life is to serve God by being obedient to the truth of the Bible and using that to serve others. And then, hopefully, after they've put in enough time demonstrating their faith, after people have been able to evaluate them and see that their works are consistent and prove that they have faith, a Jehovah's Witness may find themselves worthy of baptism. And through that, they will have a greater assurance of their salvation 
as long as they keep living by faith. Because, surprise, surprise, in a works-based religion, you can spend decades working, but as soon as you stop, that's it. You are at great risk of losing your salvation. Now, question number four is, what is right and wrong, or how do we know it? Now, the answer to this one is obviously going to be tied closely to our purpose in life. Because within the world of Jehovah's Witnesses, our greatest goal is to do right and avoid wrong, right? We need to live good lives so that we can enter the kingdom. And ultimately, we have to know what those things are. How do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? And so, in a broad sense, what is right is basically not sinning. And what is wrong is sinning. So it's all understood through sin, like many other Christian religions. And so within Jehovah's Witnesses, sin is anything that goes against God or his will, and then good things are anything that God would approve of. And so it kind of boils down to good and evil is is considered good, is considered God or Jehovah or not Jehovah. Now, unlike many religions, and even unlike our own religion, there's not really any gray area about what's right. So things like music and TV are often rejected because they aren't directly beneficial to our walk with God, and so all they're going to be is a distraction. There's no spiritual merit, there's no enjoyment outside of directly serving God to be found in them, so don't bother with them. And we see that on in everything. So if something doesn't have direct spiritual value, we need to reject it. And that includes celebrating a birthday, because while it may be fun, it's focused on ourselves. It's focused on celebrating an individual. Even spending money on ourselves, you know, treating ourselves to something nice can be seen as indulging in sin because it's a focus on ourself. It's considered wrong. And so within the lives of someone who is you know, living for the kingdom, you know, from the outside looking in, we may see that they are kind of isolating themselves. You know, they they choose to live in a way that we just can't connect with them. And so we don't really know what to do with Jehovah's Witnesses a lot of the time. You know, if you, you know, grew up knowing someone in Jehovah's Witnesses, you could talk to them, but there was just not a lot of shared experience there because they lived so isolated from everything else. And a lot of their life was dictated by, no, I can't do this. No, I can't do that. But within Jehovah's Witnesses, this is actually seen as evidence that they're doing right. Because by being outcasts, by being outsiders and not being able to form friendships or even sometimes being mocked and ridiculed by the world, it's evidence that this evil world hates them. And so clearly they are doing right and they need to keep doing what they're doing because our rejection of them is evidence that they're on the right path. And now the final question, and within Jehovah's Witnesses, possibly the most important question, is what happens when we die? Now, as always, although Jehovah's Witnesses find some similarities with mainstream Christianity in many areas, the ultimate end of our lives is where they really differ the most. This is where we can find almost no trace of what we would believe alongside them. And now this section, I just want to warn you, is only going to cover the basics of how they view the afterlife. And in part two, we will get into greater detail on what some of these terms mean and hopefully answer any questions that may pop up or you may have had about Jehovah's Witnesses in the past. Now, earlier in the episode, I kind of 
made mention and, and called out this idea of God remembering or not remembering people. And so that is ultimately the big thing that we need to talk about when it comes to what happens when we die. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 and verse 10 in the New World Translation says, For the living know they will die, but the dead know nothing at all, nor do they have any more reward because all memory of them is forgotten. And then going to verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. For there is no work, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. So death is the end of our existence. Jehovah's Witnesses would say that our soul is the same thing as our body. And so when our bodies die, we are dead because we we don't have a soul and a body. We are souls. So they can't be removed, they can't be separated, and the kind of pagan idea of a soul continuing after death is just not something the Jehovah's Witnesses find in the Bible. And so the end of life is the end of existence. It's the end of everything. There's nothing else in the grave. There's there's nothing there waiting for us. And yet what's interesting is that they believe that by rejecting the idea of an eternal soul that continues on after death, resurrection takes on an even greater purpose for us and demands us to live by even more faith in this life. And so here's what they believe will happen to those who are worthy to be remembered and those who have lived and proven themselves to having good enough lives to have some version of an afterlife. So in John chapter 5, Verses 28 and 29, it says, Do not be amazed at this, for the hour is coming in which all those in the memorial tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who did good things to a resurrection of life, and those who practice vile things to a resurrection of judgment. And then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, it says, The memory of the righteous one is due for a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. So there's two types of resurrections. So, you know, first we all die and our, all of our existences end. And then later, God will resurrect everyone. Now, most people will be resurrected to a perfect earth and live in Christ's kingdom forever. The anointed ones that are going to be 144,000 people will instead enjoy a heavenly resurrection and sit as rulers over the kingdom's government. Now, this resurrection isn't a matter of how we would view it, where it's eternal souls returning to our mortal bodies or being given new and perfect bodies. But instead, the resurrection is based on those who God chooses to remember. So those who did good, those who obeyed him throughout their lives, God will choose to remember them. And, you know, that's kind of what you know, God is, is supposedly talking about when he talks about these memorial tombs or in Proverbs 10.7 where the memory of a righteous person versus what happens to the memory of a wicked person. And so, you know, what this actually looks like is, you know, maybe kind of foreign to us. And so there's maybe two pictures that I can try to paint that can help us understand what it means for God to choose to remember a person and for them to be resurrected through memory. Uh, one way to look at it is, you know, if you think back to a childhood friend or a childhood pet that you had, you know, with our imperfect and flawed minds, you know, we can still remember, you know, their laugh, their mannerisms, things they said and did and things like that. You know, we can reconstruct in our minds a basic picture of something from our past. 
Now God, in his perfect memory, remembers those things flawlessly. And so if he chooses to remember us, he will resurrect us as he remembers us perfectly, and yet will be without sin. Maybe another way to think about it is that God's memory of us is like a blueprint, in that he knows kind of the core of who we are and what we're about, and so when he resurrects us, he doesn't revive our old dead selves, you know, that person who died at the age of, you know, 40 or 80 or whatever, but instead God uses the blueprint of us that he has, just like, you know, we can build the same house over and over again, and God will use that blueprint to kind of remember us and recreate us as we were really always meant to be, without all the, you know, the the shoddy materials and the, the you know, poor foundation and things like that. You know, God will recreate us perfectly. And so how do we get this? How do we ensure that God will remember us? Well, good works are good, and hopefully a lot of people will enjoy some part of Christ's kingdom because of what they did. But that's no guarantee. You know, just works alone is not a guarantee that we're going to get there. Instead, if we want to really lock in our eternity, what we want to do is we want to be a good standing member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And especially we want to be baptized because baptism seems to really be the guarantee that it's not just about growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses, but that our works have earned us the right to baptism, which has therefore earned us the right to being remembered and resurrected. And so, but again, as I said earlier, it's not just about getting baptized once. It's not about living a pretty good life. You need to be effectively an upstanding member within the Jehovah's Witnesses until the day you die. And so, you know, if you live 50 years, you know, doing the work of the kingdom, putting in your hours and things like that, but something happens at the end of your life and you either choose to leave the Jehovah's Witnesses or your life is seen as so problematic that you have to be removed from fellowship with the Jehovah's Witnesses then you basically have no hope of being remembered. Because while someone who has never had the true truth still has a chance because they can still live good lives on their own, if you are someone who was fully in the truth, right, you were within God's true religion, and you either chose to walk out or you did something so terrible, you you know lived in defiance or even made an enemy of an elder to where you had to be removed— then there's no way that you could possibly hope to have an eternal life because you you gave it up. And so at the end of the day, like most religions, Jehovah's Witnesses have the key to eternal life. Sticking with them is your guarantee and your hope of living forever. If you aren't part of the Jehovah's Witnesses, but you're part of mainstream Christianity, it's going to be really tough because a lot of what you're doing is so close to the truth but you are still steeped in a lot of paganism. And if you are fully outside of any kind of Abrahamic religion that uses, you know, our version of the Bible, then, you know, all you got to do is just be a good person and you should be fine. You should be able to be remembered by God at the end. So that's going to wrap it up for our look into what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. I know that there was kind of a lot to this. Um, I will have down in the show notes, the timestamps. So if you want to kind of go back and re-listen to one of the questions, you'll be able to do that. Uh, next week, we will get um, much more 
in depth and specific with very core things to Jehovah's Witnesses that either didn't fit in here or I didn't have time to really explore deeply. So make sure you stick around for the next episode. But I'm going to end this one here. So thank you for listening. Uh, Remember that Onward in the Faith is a listener-supported podcast. And so if you would like to support this ministry, you can give a one-time donation or you can pledge monthly support by following links down in the show notes. Now, I hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.